John chapter 4, um, if you have a Bible, you can turn to the passage that was read. If you need a Bible, there are some at the round tables in the back. Back in 2008, there was a, a story that kind of got global attention, um, and it happened in Zagreb, Croatia. So this is the capital of, of Croatia. And it was about a woman, a, kind of a very ordinary woman who was a working woman. She came home from work one day made herself a cup of tea, sat down in front of her television, and died of natural causes. And you're wondering, like, why would a a story about a Croatian woman back in 2008 make, you know, who died of natural causes in front of her television, why would that have made such a global news story? Why would it have been a, a global news story? It's because this Croatian woman died back in 1973. For 35 years, this Croatian woman went completely unnoticed and unknown. It's an incredibly tragic story that her family didn't report her missing. Her neighbors didn't go and check on her. They, they thought that she had just moved. And so for 35 years, she went unnoticed and unknown. Our passage this morning from John chapter 4, I think gives us one of the most beautiful pictures of what Christianity is. So much so that I think it it makes Christianity so compelling because it gives us a picture of Christianity that's not only beautiful, but actually believable. And that is this, that Jesus, who John believes in his gospel, is the Son of God. He is fully God and fully man. That's who John believes Jesus is. Has come because he notices you And he knows you and wants to be known by you. And I think that's one of the most beautiful things that Christianity offers, is that Jesus, the Son of God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, he notices you. And he knows you, and he wants to be known by you. And perhaps you're here this morning, And we all have different stories. As we've just sung, we're deeply wounded souls. And perhaps your story this morning, your your deep wound is that no one's noticed you. Or nobody knows you. I've got really good news for you this morning. John chapter 4. So let's pray before we consider this wonderful text and and ask God to give us eyes to see Jesus. So let's pray. Father, we have indeed just sung that we are um, deeply wounded souls and we do fly to Thee. And it's our prayer this morning that Lord Jesus, uh, you would hear our cries. 
that you would make your, yourself known to us. So may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts this morning, would they be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Tim Keller, a, uh, perhaps a household name, perhaps not, a pastor in New York City, one of our pastors in our denomination, he once said, to be loved and not known is comforting, but it's superficial. Um, to be known and not loved, that's our greatest fear. And I think what John does in our passage this morning is he kind of presents Jesus to us, as he shows us the greatest picture of love that actually alleviates our greatest fear. That what John is offering to us in the gospel, and what Jesus offers to us in the gospel, is that we can be fully known and be fully loved. It's the greatest picture of love that we can have, and it alleviates our greatest fear that you can be known and loved in Christ. So this morning, what I want to do is I really just want to ask one question from the text. There's a lot of things that we can look at from this text, but I just really want to focus in on one, and that is this. Where does Jesus meet us to offer us his love? And then at the end, maybe ask us, so what? What does it actually mean for you and me? Where does Jesus meet us to offer his love? Look again at verses 3 and 4 from our text. It says that Jesus left Judea and departed for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. And this is a, a detail that probably many of us overlook. Um, it's just a little footnote giving us the map of where Jesus is traveling next. But I think it's incredibly important for us to actually take time to see just how incredible this is. John tells us that Jesus left Judea for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. And you have to understand the cultural context behind this. John alludes to it, but Jews did not interact with Samaritans. Like, they refused to interact with them. You see, the most logical route from Judea to Galilee would be to go, to, go straight through Samaria. But Jews would tack on four, five, six more days to their travel in order to avoid contact with Samaritans. Why? Because Jews thought Samaritans were half-breeds. They were politically and socially and spiritually considered an outcast. And the reason for that is because Samaritans intermarried with a group of people in Israel's history who used to oppress Israel. And so, in the mind of a Jew, Samaritans were the worst kind of people. And here, Jesus tells us that he has to go to Samaria. Now, you need to get your, your mind around this. Jesus, a Jewish rabbi from a religiously conservative group, is literally risking his life and reputation because he has to go to Samaria. 
But Jesus is willing to risk his reputation and to be misunderstood as he travels to a place where no Jew would ever travel. But then notice what John tells us. He says that when Jesus got to Samaria, he's tired from his travel and he ends up meeting a woman at a well and he tells us that it's at the sixth hour. Again, this is a very significant detail because we know that communities in that day would typically draw water early in the morning because it's very cool, which is why people moved to California because the mornings are glorious. Or late at night. Again, why people moved to California because during the middle of the day is the hottest part of the day. And the bookends of the day are the coolest parts of the day. So that's when you would draw water. But it was at the hottest part of the day where Jesus meets a woman, a Samaritan. And she's all alone. And we learn from this story that this Samaritan woman has had five failed marriages. And now is in a relationship with a man who's not her husband. So get the picture here. Jesus, a Jewish rabbi from a very conservative, very religious group of people from the very first century, encounters a woman who politically and socially and morally and spiritually is the epitome of an outcast. She is a moral pariah. And John tells us that Jesus had to go to Samaria. How do you think a woman like that was treated in the first century? You can imagine it wasn't the very best. I mean, she was shamed to go and draw water at the sixth hour. But on this particular day, something unbelievable happens. John tells us that Jesus had to go to Samaria because on this day, at this hour, at this well, with this woman, he had to be there. Why? Because it was on his calendar. And the first thing that I want us to see is that Jesus comes to meet us and offer his love in our shame. He comes to meet us in the places where our shame is most acute and most paralyzing. Brene Brown, a, a history, or a, not a history professor, a professor at the University of Houston, has done all sorts of research in, in shame. And she's got a very famous TED Talk. If you've never seen it, I would encourage you to go and watch it. But she talks about the difference between shame and guilt. She says guilt's about behavior. Like, I made a mistake or um, I did something wrong. Towards shame, she says, is about self. So the inner dialogue is this. I am a mistake. I am a failure. And here Jesus comes and he meets us in the most acute and paralyzing ways that our shame has dug into ourselves. Can you imagine this woman every single day walking to that well to get water by herself? You know she would have thought to herself, I am such a failure. I mean, good grief, I can't stay married. 
I'm such a mistake. I should have never been born. You know she would have thought those things as she went to draw water all alone in the hottest part of the day. And in her most vulnerable, most lonely hour of the day, she encounters Jesus. And this is what I want you to see this morning, is that Jesus moves towards us in compassion and love. And he meets us in our shame. He is not afraid to risk his life or his reputation to meet this woman in her shame. He is not afraid to be misunderstood. And boy, was there some misunderstanding going on with the disciples who walked up and they were marveled, the text says, that he was meeting with a woman, a Samaritan woman of all people, all alone. He moves towards her and offers his life. Is that the Jesus you know this morning? The one who moves towards you and meets you in your shame? Because if our greatest fear is to be known and not loved, typically what happens then is that fear drives us to hide. Like shame drives our fear to go and retreat from people, to go and hide. And this is the second thing I want you to see, that Jesus not only meets us in our shame, but he meets us in our most favorite hiding places. There's a story that I read recently, an interview from, from ESPN about the major league pitcher, um, R.A. Dickey. He's one of the few knuckleball pitchers in the major leagues. And his road to the major leagues was, was pretty rough. Um, and he's, he's very candid for the first time about kind of his upbringing. Um, had a very broken and wounded past. And you learn from this story that his dad left at a very early age. And his mom uh, was an alcoholic and she kind of, kind of circled through different guys. And uh, a couple of those guys on a couple of different occasions um, abused R.A. Dickey. And as he talks about his life and how he made it into the major leagues, he said, for 23 years, I told no one, no one about my life. Not even my wife, who I knew loved me and was my best friend. And he goes on to say, he goes, the reason why I told no one is because I thought if someone knew what I had done or what I had been involved in and what had happened to me, and my wounds and my brokenness, that if someone knew that story about me, they would run away. Our passage, John, shows us that Jesus does not run the other way, but he actually meets us in our hiding places, in our places where we have retreated from people, the places that we have literally kept secret from others. Jesus doesn't run away because he's not afraid of our wounds or our shame. And here's the thing. It's very easy for us to hide. Yes, we are complex people, but we're really good at hiding. I mean, think about it. You can hide behind your personality. The personality and disposition that you're incredibly laid back, kind of unruffled by life. Like you can hide behind that facade and be masking that you're deeply, deeply lonely. 
You can hide behind your beauty. But it's a mask because what you're doing is you're simply hiding behind the ugliness that you feel on the inside. Like you can hide behind your achievements and successes and kind of portray and project to the watching world that you've got it all together. But deep down, you are deeply, deeply insecure, riddled with anxiety and worry. Like, you can actually hide behind the idea that you're everybody's friend and you're well-liked. But really, your relationships is all about the Heisman. You kind of just stiff-arm people or keep people at a distance because you don't trust anyone. You're deeply cynical, and so you keep people at bay. And Jesus is inviting you this morning to come out, come out. Wherever you are hiding. Because he will meet you there. I mean, look again at verse 29. I mean, this is fascinating. This woman, after she has encountered Jesus, she runs back to town, the town that has shamed and embarrassed her. And she says, come and see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? Her big takeaway from her encounter with Jesus is to run back to the people who have shamed and embarrassed her and say, come and discover a man who knows me to my core. But he didn't leave. Jesus meets us in our shame. And he meets us in our hiding places. But he also meets us in our, de- our desires. And this conversation with this woman is, is so strange. The back and forth with, with Jesus and this woman. At first Jesus comes and he offers, you know, he's like, hey, can I get a drink of water? And she's shocked. She's like, wait, where's your water jar? Why are you asking me, a woman, for water? Isn't that kind of a no-no? Then all of a sudden Jesus turns the table and he says, look, if, if you actually knew the gift of God and, and kind of who's asking you for a drink, you would actually be asking me for water. And she's like, okay, where's your jar? And he's like, no, no, no. The water that I give you is this, this living water that if you drink from it, you will never thirst again. And she's like, okay, sold. Where's the water? She's still thinking about H2O, like physical water. And Jesus is so masterful that he begins to diagnose her heart, her desires. He says, let's talk about these five failed marriages. Let's talk about the man that you're with who's not your husband. He begins to probe her longings and her desires. Because here's a woman who's built her entire identity, her entire makeup on being accepted and loved by men. And she's still thirsty. She's still unsatisfied. And it reminded me of a story that I read. Maybe it was last year. Where Madonna, the the singer and entertainer, she had a couple of concerts and she's on stage. 
And she got drunk, totally inebriated. And she began to proposition the crowd. And at one point, she literally screams to the crowd, Will someone come and love me? There's your modern-day Samaritan woman. Someone who's literally built her entire identity on her own desirability and sex appeal, and it's undoing her in front of a watching world. And here's the thing. We are no different than the Samaritan woman or Madonna. Because we all have these different wells that we run to. We all have these places that we go to that continue to dry up and never satisfy. And Jesus is coming to you and to me this morning and He's saying, He's pleading, I am so much better. I am so much better because I'm the only person who can make you whole. I'm the only person that will never misuse you or mishandle you. I'm what your heart longs for. I'm what keeps you up at night. And the question is this, is why is Jesus so much better? There's a lot we can say. But let me offer this. Jesus is the one person who gives but does not take. All these other wells that we run to take life from us. Think about it. The well of sex. And what I mean by sex is sex outside the way in which God has intended it. Sex is a beautiful gift that God created. And it's to be enjoyed in the places where God has intended it. But the well of sex outside the places that God has intended it only makes you feel cheapened and used. It's why porn is enslaving. What about the well of success? It only takes because it only demands more and more success. Money, it only takes. I've never met someone who's satisfied with a lot. (laughs) Beauty, it only takes. Why? Because you constantly have to maintain it. I was on campus the other day trying to pass out donuts again, (laughs) mainly because my intern loves donuts and I was trying to make her feel welcome. But we're passing out donuts, and I kid you not, we were kind of laughing about it. But one girl was like, literally, I can't take it because of the carbs. And you're going, okay, I get it. You're maintaining your beauty. It takes life from you. Perfectionism. You can't ever do enough. Literally, I was reading this morning, Nick Saban, the head football coach for the University of Alabama, annihilated my Ole Miss Rebels last night. Embarrassed us. 66 to 3. His post-game interview, it's so revealing because he literally was asked a couple of questions and he's so upset. And he's like, we have so much to learn from this game. He's like, we had many dropped passes, too many penalties, and we gave up too many big plays. And I literally laughed out loud this morning. I was like, what, the big play where you got, we got a field goal? (laughs) Perfectionism, it takes 
life from you. Jesus is the only one who gives and does not take. Because you know the next time that we read the phrase, the sixth hour? The next time we read the phrase, the sixth hour in John's gospel, is when Jesus is on the cross. The hottest part of the day. And he cries out, I thirst. Jesus is taking on all of our shame, all of our guilt, all of the ways in which we have run to other wells in order to satisfy what only He could ever satisfy. He is taking all of that onto Himself so that we might have life. And you need to understand something, that on the one hand, the cross is the most shameful act of all of human history because it took nothing less than the Son of God to rescue us. And the question is, is why is Jesus up there? He does not belong there. He is, as we've just sung, the sinless Savior who always loved God and always loved his neighbor perfectly. Why is he up there? He does not belong. He's up there for you and for me. But on the other hand, it's one of the most beautiful acts, the most beautiful acts in all of human history. Because as Jesus is up there, he could, He could have easily called down legions of angels to rescue him and have have rid the world of the Roman torture system of the crucifixion and all of that stuff. But he didn't. On the cross, Jesus stayed. He stayed for you and for me so that we might have forgiveness so that we might come to know and love Him and to be known and loved by Him. Jesus meets you in your shame. He meets you in your favorite hiding places. And He meets you in your desires. So what do we do with that? How would we respond, or what should our response be as the people of God? A love like this, I think, produced in this woman a a love, a, a wellspring of love that began to overflow to others. That's what Jesus promised. He said, when you drink of the water that I give, actually it will become a wellspring of water that will overflow to others. And you see that in the text. A friend of mine once said that there are no such things as dams and reservoirs in the Christian life. Because when Jesus meets us in our shame and in our hiding places and in our our desires, when, when the gospel of Jesus, that good news, when it gets down inside of us, it actually moves us then to become people who love the ways in which Jesus loved. We actually move towards people in their shame. We begin to move towards people in their brokenness, in their wounds. I mean, this is what's so fascinating. I don't think you had to convince this Samaritan woman of her evangelistic responsibilities as a Christian. (laughs) She literally encountered the greatest thing that her heart has always desired. And she runs back to the town that shamed her and embarrassed her for years. She says, let me tell you about a man 
who loves me, who knows me, who, has, who will die for me. Here's the thing, when the gospel gets inside of you, it makes you a full person. And in that fullness, it actually frees you up to love others. It frees you up to be generous, to be hospitable. It frees you up to give away your time and your money. It frees you up to be misunderstood, to lose your reputation. What our neighbors and our neighborhoods and our town and our state and our country, what I think we need most is for Christians to break the dam loose. And to let the reservoir of love that Jesus has built up in us begin to overflow. Because I think that's where we'll find healing. When Christians are willing to go and risk their life and their reputations to go and love people where they are. Because that's what Jesus has done for you and for me. And that's what Jesus offers us this morning. A love that says, I notice you, I know you, and I want to be known by you. Consider that an invitation. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we are so thankful for this wonderful picture of how you move towards broken and wounded and helpless and powerless people those who have been deeply affected by the fall, those who have been um, ruined by their own sin and the choices that they have made, but those don't scare you, they, those don't push you away from us, they actually draw you closer. So it's my prayer this morning that perhaps there's someone here who has never known the wonder and beauty of your love. May they cry out, and would you hear their cry? And would you bind up all of our wounds this morning, and would you begin the deep process of healing and making us whole again, so that you might send us out to be ambassadors, ambassadors for the kingdom that is coming. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.